I need to share something with you before I share the word. As I was sharing to the prayer partners that were in church this morning with me, this, this may be one of the last things I get to share with you. You may want to kick me out after this, but I have to share it. The individuals in our government that are refusing to comment on the lawlessness that is happening in our cities are the same ones that are telling you how to live. They're the ones that are instructing you of how to live right. And yet they refuse to comment on the lawlessness of our cities. People, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble. But what did we expect? When we've got professors who hate this country teaching students who are presently marching in the cities of this country. When we've neglected the word of God and in fact have tried to cancel his name out. What did we expect? It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to stand up when everyone else is kneeling. But that's what God's called us to do. To stand firm. And in fact, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, do everything that you can, but stand firm in Jesus Christ. That's our call. It's interesting, that's somewhat of the call of Joshua to the two tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The passage that is in Joshua chapter 22, I invite you to turn there. We're going to be focusing mainly on verse 5, but there's some things about the passage we first need to introduce. It begins by saying there's peace in the land. Oh, wouldn't we like to have peace in the land? There's peace in the land. The story is told that there were two painters who were given a charge. They were put in competition of one another, and it was theirs to paint a painting of peace. One painter designed a beautiful landscape of the sun setting, and as the rays of the setting sun came across the sea, as individuals stared at that, they, they felt within themselves a calmness and a peace. The other painter took a different route. His paint, his painting exhibited thunder and lightning, storms, waves that were beating against the rocks, but down in the bottom corner of the painting 
were two big rocks, and in between them was a bird that was singing. Now that's peace. That's the kind of peace that in the midst of turmoil, God will give us if we stay with him. The psalmist said it well, in the shadow of the Almighty, there's peace. Israel now is in a time of peace. Fighting is over. From the beginning chapter to up to this present chapter, they were in conflict. They were in storms. And in fact, I want to give you a thought maybe that you haven't considered before coming to the book of Joshua. And it's this. That the book of Joshua is a panoramic view of the Christian life. When we first come to know and to understand that Jesus Christ has paid for my sins and by trusting in him and him alone I can have eternal life, we pass over the Jordan. We pass over a river of sin into what's known as God's kingdom lived out through the church. There's peace. There's joy. But we find that it's not long before Wars begin to happen. I'm not talking about Jericho. I'm I'm talking about personal wars that we have to grapple with and wrestle with. And sometimes we don't find the victory in them. Sometimes we fail. I hope I'm not preaching just to myself here this morning. Sometimes we fail. But God is there to pick us up. And to restore us and to continue on. Until we get to a place of peace. That it says in chapter 22. But to set the historical uh, message of this particular chapter. There are three things you need to know. First of all, in chapter 21, the closing four verses say that it was God who gave them the land. It was God who gave them the peace. And it was God whose all of his promises did not fail. Let you in on a little secret. It's all about God. It's him and him alone. Every victory that we have is because he gives it to us. Every moment of peace we have. Is from his hand. The second thing historically is this. Is the land has been doled out. You go back in a fewer chapters. And you will see that Joshua and Eleazar. The high priest. Meet in Shiloh. And they begin to dole out the land. Then they set forth the. The boundaries of what is known as the sanctuary cities. Not the same as what we have today. But back then the sanctuary cities were for individuals who accidentally caused death to an individual. And they could go there and stay there for safety. 
And then he established the high priests. The tribe of Levi was not given any land because the Lord was their inheritance. But they were given cities upon which they were to go and to reside. Which means that throughout all of the land of Israel, there was the word of God. There wasn't a place that you could go to and say, we never heard, we never knew. Because there was a high priest there who had the word of God. And lastly, because everything was in order, they were at peace. And Joshua, according to verse 1, calls Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And says, now it's time for you to go home. But he rewarded them. The closing verses, verse 8, which Pastor Steve read, says that they took with them spoils. Rewards, if you will. For their service. For in Numbers 22, and also in Joshua chapter 1, they promised that they would not desert their brothers. They stayed and fought with them, even though their families were on the east side of the Jordan River, they committed to being with their brothers on the west side and doing battle. And that's what Joshua commends them for. They thank them for. But then he gets to verse 5. Now, Joshua didn't say, okay, chapter 22, verse 5. No, in his charge, we come to verse 5, and it reads like this. It says in verse 5, only carefully obey. Only carefully obey. Obey what? Obey the commands and instructions that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commands, be loyal to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Five commands that I want to dissect this morning for us. Because these commands are very relevant for today. And I really don't care if in Portland, Oregon, in front of the federal building, the federal courthouse, if they're, if they're stacking up Bibles and putting them to fire. That's what they're doing. I'm here to obey God and his commands. In fact, let me give, you, let me give them to you. Let me flesh them out for you a little bit. So you know what's going on. Where, where are we going here this morning? The first one is this. Never change your allegiance to the word of God. Never change your allegiance to the word of God. You may be wanting to write this in your bulletin. There's a study guide in there. It's empty. You can fill it in. You can write whatever you want. You can draw a picture of me with my tongue out. I don't care. But it's in there for you. For command number one, never change your allegiance to the word of God. 
We are told time and time again throughout the Word of God, recorded for us verses that highlight the very power that is in the Word of God. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For where there he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to them who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Once more, Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to Jew first and also to the Greek. And in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the heart and intents of the heart. What are we trying to say? Well, when we change our allegiance from the word of God, we ultimately lose out on the power of God. For it is in the word of God whereby we can stand. Thus saith the Lord is more than just some black dots on a white page taking up room. If thus saith the Lord, you'd better pay attention to what God is saying. And so Joshua is telling these two tribes and half tribe. Don't ever forsake the commands of Moses that he gave you. Don't turn your back on the word of God. For when you do, you will lose the power of God that will keep you safe. The reason I believe that we are not experiencing the peace of God in our society today is because we have turned our back on the gospel of God. And we've neglected Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. For it's in him that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua says, do not, do not turn, do not neglect the word of God. Second command is this. Never change your worship of God. It's highlighted by love the God, love the Lord God. In fact, love is the foundation of worship. It's best described for us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Where it highlights the fact, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. For all that God has done for us, for all that Jesus Christ has given to us through his name, we should at least love him to worship him. Because I'm on the side that I'm saying this this morning, that I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Do you? It is through him and by him that all things are made. And Jesus said, John 15, but without me, you can do nothing. The least we can do is present ourselves to him in worship because we love him. Love is that powerful thing that is described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not about emotions, though those play a part in it. It's about acts of service. Highlighted, if you will, used many times in the, in the description of a married couple, and I would agree with that, but I'm married to Jesus Christ. I'm part of the bride. I'm in touch with my womanhood. I'm part of the bride, the church. And in it, love is. It's described. It's actions. What are my actions? What am I saying? What am I doing? The main thought is this. That which you give yourself to will become the God you worship. Unfortunately, there are many Christians today who have given themselves to the gods of entertainment and employment. Selfishness and sensuality. And have forsaken the worship of the one and true living God. We go seeking after, we chase after that which, per, which is peripheral while neglecting that which is powerful. We pursue that which is only temporary and we lose sight of who is eternal. And we long for pleasure and we forsake the one who can give us peace. Joshua said, do not, never change your worship of God. The third, third thing is this. The third command is never change your walk with God. Never change your walk with God. Deuteronomy 5.33 says, You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that you may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the Lord, which you shall possess. Paul takes that and twists it a little bit and writes Galatians 2.20 when he pens these words, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives with me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. Never change your walk with God. Whether we fully realize it or not, the way in which we live, the way in which we walk, is a testimony to those who see it. And it's supposed to highlight the truth of the Savior to whom we belong. It's the desire of the world system that is utterly commanded by Satan, our enemy, to be conformed to its image. But Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what is that good and perfect will of God. Don't change. Don't exchange your walk with God. The question is this. Does our walk in this world highlight our Savior? Or does our walk cast doubt as to whom we belong? fourth command is this never change your appreciation for the will of God never change your appreciation for the will of God the will of God is for our life was one of the most questioned realities in all of Christianity we want to know What is God's will for my life? I don't know how many individuals over the years of ministry that I've had them ask me that question. What is God's will for my life? The first part of that I know. Because it's recorded for us in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. The will of God for our life is this. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's the first part. That's corporal will of God. But there's a personal will of God for each and every one of you individually. We call it occupations. God calls it differently. For he says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has predetermined that we should walk in them. He's equipped us differently. He's made us look differently. I'm sure glad, I am so glad, that most of my children got my wife's looks. I've carried this for 65 years. I don't want them to have that burden. (laughs) But God has determined in us, each one of us, a particular will for our life. Some of us are professionals. I work in the realm that's called professional ministry. I have no idea what that means. Some of us are farmers. Some of us are iron workers. Some of us are insurance agents. Some of us are bookkeepers. We're all different. 
We're all geared differently. And in that will is where God says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you to anyone who would ask with all fear and trembling. Be a witness for Jesus Christ. You, we got some teachers in here that can talk to people that I can't get into. I've got construction workers in here that deal with clientele that won't give me the time of day. But I have people who won't listen to you. See, it's not about us. It's about pointing them to Jesus Christ. And by grace through faith, they too can come to know and understand the truth that God loves us. And he's provided for us a place called heaven. And all they have to do is believe and trust in him. That's all. That's what we have to share. Don't never change your appreciation for the will of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't want to do anything different than what I'm doing right now. I don't envy anybody else. You should not envy what I do. Just do what God's called you to do in the realm that he's given you the power to do in order that you can tell people about Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of that. Don't say, oh, I wish Pastor Doug was here that he could talk to you about Jesus. No, he's giving you a mouth. You talk to him. It can be as simple as handing them a track and saying, look, would you read this? I'd love to think what you have to say about it. Let's talk about it. Share Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you something. The only thing we can take to heaven is other people. That's all. That's all. Lastly, the fifth one. Never change your work for God. The question is, who are you working for? There are two realms in the scriptures that highlight who we can work for. We can either work for the flesh or we can work for the spirit. Now quickly, in a few minutes we have left, turn with me back to Galatians chapter 5. I love to hear the word of God move. Rattle the pages. Let me know you're alive. Galatians chapter 5. Here's the two realms that the Apostle Paul highlights for us. And what we can look work for, what we can live for. Begin in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, fractions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and any similar, anything similar, I warn you about these things. As I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Second realm, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Never change your work for God. Never sell it cheap on the market of the world. Hold fast to the claims of the scripture and what Jesus Christ has instructed us as to how we are supposed to live. Sierra sang it well. She sang it fast. Can I get an amen? But she sang it well. The woman that sang that song is asking God to capture her. So that she doesn't walk away. Oh, that the Lord would capture me every day. And place me in his cage of grace. Which keeps me from being affected by the world. Never change your work for God. <coughs> Excuse me. There was an old lumberjack who went to a lumberjack company looking for a job. He sought out the foreman and said, I want to work as a lumberjack. I, I want to chop down some trees. I guess that's what lumberjacks do. The foreman said, man, I'm sorry, but you are too old to chop down trees. The old man looked stunned and said, no, I'm not. And the foreman, a bit irritated, said, look, I've worked with a lot of lumberjacks, and I'm telling you, you are too old, too weak, and too feeble to chop down trees. The old man decided to prove the foreman wrong. He took the supervisor out to a tree, grabbed an axe, and chopped down a tree in record time. The foreman said, where did you learn to chop like that? You're pretty fast with that heavy axe. The lumberjack said, well, have you ever heard of the Sahara Forest? Uh, the Sahara Forest? Do you mean the Sahara Desert? Yeah, I guess that's what they call it now. (laughs) 
never forsake your work for God. There's a few forests that need to be chopped down for his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful for the charge that Joshua gave to Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. But it's a charge that affects us even today. We're not to forget your commands. We're not to exchange our worship of you. We're not to be unconsiderate of your will for our lives. Our walk is to be straight. And our work is to be God-honoring. We're not to give them up. And if we don't give them up, then we will have riches. Riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And it'll be for his glory in that great and glorious day when we can lay them at your feet. Until that time, O Lord, may we walk worthy of the vocation by which we are called. For your glory and for your honor, we ask this. Amen.